1: Welcome to another Greatest Hits Rewind episode of the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin the Intern, but you know what? After this week we just spent together, we're on a first name basis, so you should just call me the Fintern. For our last Rewind show before the guys come back on Monday, we'll stay with Evergreen Discussions. Let's go back to 2017 for an interesting roundtable chat with our old team of frequent contributors on what things were taxable back in 2017. Plus, halfway through the episode, there's a great discussion with Clarity Money. Clarity Money was later purchased by Goldman Sachs. If you've ever used the Marcus app on your phone, that was Clarity Money when it began. So I hope you enjoy this now historical segment as well. As I mentioned, this episode originally aired in 2017, so ignore any mention of current events. Joe and OG will be back here in the basement on Monday with special guest Trish Hunt, and we'll discuss how she went from stuck to unstoppable. We'll learn how the power of intentional decision-making in life and leadership can change your path. I hope you listen in and as for me, I'll see you again in 8 weeks. Enjoy FinTurn Out. Hey,
2: this is Pete the Planner, USA today money columnist and host of the Ask Pete the Planner podcast. When I'm not fixing the weirdest financial situations you've ever heard of, I'm stacking Benjamins.
3: Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey, Money Nerds, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we have a great show on tap today. Please welcome, from AffordAnything.com, Paula Pant. From Control Your Cash, that's Greg McFarlane. And from LenPenzo.com, Frederick Douglass. No, I'm just kidding. That guy's got no time for us. He's busy at work on some great new stuff while we record this show. Actually, we've got Len Penzo. And on today's Fresh Books FinTech segment, we welcome the CEO of the hot new app, Clarity Money, Adam Dell. And here he is, the guy who's like the glue holding together your G.I. Joe's left arm, Joe see Joe <laughs>
0: My G.I. Joe's arm was broken was always after my cousin Johnny came over. I mean, literally, every time Johnny came over, he broke something. That's when the glue always came out. Hey, everybody. It's Friday. I am Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And this is the glue that ends the week this episode. And we've got a fantastic episode for you. But first, this episode sponsored by State Farm That truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry, Betterment is here to help. Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right. Great show today. We've got the original crew on. Let's get rolling. Greg, Paula, Len, and then Adam Dell from Clarity Money. Let's do it. All right, let's walk across the basement here and dust off my dad's old shortwave radio. See if we can get some of the greatest minds in in radio. Now, I think we've been doing this long enough. We'll just call you guys the greatest minds in financial radio.
2: That might be a stretch, but who knows? Uh, Greg McFarlane, you are uh, halfway across the Pacific. Is that a stretch? It's probably closer to a third. If you're if you're measuring from California and you stop measuring in Japan or Korea,
0: is it a stretch that we're the greatest minds in uh, financial
2: radio? Oh, that's what you meant. Uh, no, not in the least. Especially not. Len.
4: Right. Oh, Len Penzo might be with us. <laughs> Len. Hey, thanks for that segment. That teed it up real easy, Greg. Good job.
0: From LenPenzo.com, it's Len Penzo. How's
4: it going, everyone? It is fantastic now that you're here, man. How is life in the bunker? You know what? I'm peeking out. I, I, I Every once in a while, I poke my head out and look, but uh, I see storm clouds on the horizon. And I know that's a metaphor. <laughs> Of course, in my world, I always see storm clouds. So, what would you expect? The ironic thing is, the day I see sunshine, it'll probably be the worst thing in the world. So, you know what's going to happen, Greg?
0: Is that Len's going to die of a heart attack, and the nuclear winter is going to be two days later? (laughs) (laughs) You know, know,
2: plenty of gold for the honeybee to liquidate. (laughs) That's
0: right. And holding uh, down the fort in uh, Las Vegas, I think taking care of Greg's cats, it's Paula Pant from Afford Anything.
5: No, you know, Greg actually takes his cats to Hawaii with him. That's true. They, right. they can't be separated for too long. You ca-
2: cannot be. They get separation anxiety, Greg? the furthest we ever get separated while traveling out here is the trauma on the plane where they have to go from Vegas to the transfer city to Honolulu. And they don't care for that. They, they are not, they're not good travelers in, um, in cargo in the cabin. They do all right.
0: Let's get this thing moving. Cause people are wondering if we are actually going to talk finance today. Let's head to MarketWatch watch uh, marketwatch.com where Douglas Fink has an opinion piece, how to invest in the Trump era. He says buy shares of private company. Says, companies says non publicly traded companies Will fly under the radar as new platforms give investors a chance to buy equity in them. Let me let me see, Len, if I can piece together how this is and you can tell me if this is if this is correct. He said that it looks like Wall Street after the big run up might come tumbling down. So if you think that this big, big, big long run up we've had is actually going to go backwards, that investing in private companies will keep you in equities, but you don't have the stock market in your way. Is that what he's talking about?
4: Yeah, I think that's pretty darn close. You know, that what they're doing is they're looking forward. They're saying they're looking at uh, Donald Trump's policies. They see that his policies may be less favorable to the big public companies and more favorable to the small and medium-sized private companies. So why not invest in some of those smaller private companies? Uh, the trick is most people don't do that. Most people invest in the big companies because it's the easiest thing to do. Hey, and if you do think, as I do, that the stock market is really pushing the limits right now, diversification, of course, is always your friend. So why not diversify within your equities by going smaller and private?
0: But Greg, buying a small company that's non-traded just seems to me to be
2: fraught with risk. Then there's that, yeah. This reeks to me of a throwaway hypothesis that got turned into a story in order to meet a deadline. As a practical matter, if you try to invest – In a private company well there's a reason why publicly traded companies are called publicly traded companies their shares trade on a market they're easy to buy if i go to the guy who runs the most successful private construction firm on maui and i say hey how about making me a partner he's probably going to decline and i'm not sure if there's another more efficient way to do it unless you happen to be reading an article
4: written by
2: the CEO of a crowdfunding company.
4: Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. and did you notice the the uh, what what do you call it, the full disclosure? It was real clever. He just casually said, "And my company, you know, or this company blah blah blah, you know, my company in mean, period. It was really subtle. Really there wasn't a blatant disclosure in there.
5: Yeah, Paula. So, um, private companies going that route You know, I actually really liked this article. I wouldn't put a huge amount of your portfolio into a private company, but if you want to take a small amount of money and uh, go to Crunchbase, for example, where you can connect with startups or go to a startup accelerator, I mean, I, I think that there's really something to be said for that. And I wouldn't walk into it thinking that you're taking this approach as a reaction or a response to the current political environment. I just think that as a matter of course, Putting some small amount of your portfolio into startups is, you know, not a bad idea.
0: I'm going to go back to you, Len. Don't you think that what Paul is saying is a little bit dangerous? I mean, if I'm somebody that is, you know, uh, average investor, I think all my investments are liquid. I get into one of these private companies, you know, now my money's not liquid. Now I'm investing in one company instead of 500. I mean, there's a huge amount of risk. I think the average investor has no clue that they're getting into.
4: Well, that's true. And and there's other ways to avoid risk, right? You can go with bigger companies if you wish. You can do more defensive companies in the equity markets, for example, utilities or things that people are always going to buy if you think there's going to be a downturn, right? Like Coca-Cola or Archer Daniels Midland or or something like that, those big food companies, General Mills. There's always ways to be defensive in a down market and still come out fairly well.
6: It
0: seems like some of what the author's talking about, Greg, is the fact that a lot of these huge companies are multinationals, right? And that with some of the protectionist stuff that you were talking about earlier, that, you know, you might see these companies' sales suffer. Is there a way to stay large cap, get United States, and not have that international problem that
2: this author presents? In theory, sure. Unless you want to buy a job, open a restaurant, whatever, the best way to invest in private companies— probably commercial real estate or something like that. And I have to mention that how amazed I am, what the the demographic shift here that Paula doesn't know Yosemite Sam, but she knows Crunch Base, she knows Bike Combinator. <laughs> All this stuff that I'm fairly familiar with.
5: I'm also familiar with uh, WhatsApp. Have you heard of it?
2: <laughs> yes, what? I have. Haven't used it though.
5: <laughs> and GrootMe. Do you know WhatsApp?
2: Ledina, what's that? Now she's just taking random one-syllable words and mashing them together. That's
4: right. <laughs> and- didn't Anheuser Busch have that? What was it what's that? Remember that? Didn't they have a campaign on that? What's that? What's that?
0: Remember that? That's what she's talking about, Paul. That's what you're <laughs> that, talking about, isn't it?
5: Clearly, absolutely. I,
0: I have no idea what she's talking about, and now Paul has, no has, has no idea what. Paul has no. Paul has no idea what the hell we're talking about. That's from quite a while ago. Uh, Paula, we had a guy on the show maybe six months ago talking about these new crowdfunding rules that allow people like Mr. Fink here and uh, like the places that you mentioned where you can go in and you can do some crowdfunding. He said part of the problem is is that a lot of these companies, if they could get better funding than the crowd, they'd go get it because who wants to deal with Joe Sixpack who has no idea what the heck's going on with their company and have, you know, 600 of them versus having two... Angel investors who can bring people to their board can bring expertise, know something about sales, about distribution, about logistics. He kind of made it sound like these crowdfunding platforms you're getting the bottom of the barrel. Uh,
5: I would disagree with that, or at least I would think that that's an oversimplified explanation. For one thing, there are typically angel investors and venture capitalists tend to want to invest in tech companies that have the prospect of being unicorns, of, of totally blowing up. So if you're a brick and mortar retail establishment, for example, uh, and you already have one successful location within your city and you want the funds to open a second location, there aren't going to be a whole lot of angel investors that are going to be interested in you. There aren't startup accelerators for that. And likewise, let's say that you are a company, a roofing company or a company that basically that, that has these jobs uh, or that works in fields that are never going to be massive. I mean, even if you were to find a couple of investors that were interested, it's completely possible that those investors would have some type of a vision that would just not be aligned with your company. And they would want to take your company in a direction that you don't want it to go in. And so part of the power of being funded by a big base is that they're all silent partners, which means that you as the owner can retain a creative vision.
0: I still think it's really risky.
5: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I definitely would not put very much of your money, like put put beer money there, just Anheuser Busch money there. But you know, make it a really, really small portion of your portfolio. Something that you wouldn't miss if you lost it.
0: Maybe in a few years you'll make that uh, Anheuser Busch money, Heineken money. I don't know. Ooh, PBR money. But PBR money. Better yet, let's move on, guys to our second piece and ladies and gentlemen it's time for the quiz show you've all been waiting for. Is it taxable? We're gonna play this game. (laughs) I know, I know, it's fine tingling, isn't it Paula?
4: Listener's patience. Right. (laughs) Right
0: This is a spine-tingling game show where you will win no fun and prizes. However, you get to find out if it's taxable. And before we start this game, I have to preface this with, nobody asked any of our contributors to be tax experts. They probably have no idea if this is taxable. I just thought it'd be fun for us to all kind of play along. So don't write us and say, I can't believe you guys didn't know it wasn't. uh, Who cares? (laughs) All right. Here we go, guys. Question number one. You find buried treasure in your backyard. Len, did you find buried treasure when you were uh, when you were digging that bunker?
4: No, not when I was digging the bunker. But I have found in the past a treasure that was laying on the ground. You're so. the creepy guy that takes the metal detector to the beach, <laughs> aren't you? Hey, you know what? I didn't. But, you know, my dad uh, took a – well, you know, he didn't have a metal detector. But, okay, let's use my dad for an example because this is interesting. He found a very nice ring on the beach at Daytona Beach, Florida about uh, eight years ago, nine years ago. And he had it appraised. And it's like a five thousand dollar ring. So the lesson is: just go to the beach every day,
0: make five well, so is thousand. Is your question: is is that taxable? No, no. Oh. I was just, <laughs> I was just, I was just asking a question, and it went uh, in a direction I didn't expect. So here we go. Question one: You found buried treasure in your backyard. You don't have to share your wealth with the IRS. True or false? If it's in your backyard and you find buried treasure, do you have to share your wealth with the IRS? Greg, what do you think? Yes. Len?
4: Oh, I think absolutely.
0: But it's in your backyard,
4: guys. It should be yours, right? You own the land. Did you pay for the what land? I got the money in my wallet, too. That's, that's, <laughs> that's taxable.
0: It's already been shared with the IRS, right? <laughs> Before it entered your wallet, though, it was shared by the IRS. So, Paula, what do you think? Dissenting opinion? Are you on the same train? Uh,
5: I agree. I agree. I think that that's taxable. I don't think the IRS is going to forego a chance to claim taxes on that.
0: The answer is false. Found property. Huh? Found property was lost or abandoned is taxable at its fair market value in the first year. It's your undisputed possession, the IRS says. The precedent for the IRS's treasure trove rule dates back to 1964, when a couple discovered 4,467 dollars in a used piano they had purchased for 15 bucks. The IRS said the Ciserini versus United States. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you got The couple owed income taxes on the money, and a U.S. district court agreed. Uh,
5: Wait, so how is that false? Wouldn't it be yeah. true then? Oh, you
0: know what? Because I read the question wrong.
5: Ah, uh,
0: you don't have to share correct. the wealth with your i with the IRS. Yes, you guys are correct. Wait, can well, we get a new quiz master? For
4: the I, know. Next <laughs> <laughs> I have, holy crap! I still don't know what the answer is. Well, I? Right?
5: <laughs> Len, the answer is you owe taxes. The answer
4: That's is you owe I
0: taxes. Thought. Yes, all right. Let's see if I can get my reader glasses on, maybe back away from this uh
2: monitor here <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Can we, can we get Peter T. Markin from Press Your Lock? <laughs>
0: That's right, but far better. Question two. He's dead. <laughs> See, there I go. Question two. You received a scholarship to cover college tuition, fees, and room and board. All the money is tax-free. Len Penzo, you're first. You received a scholarship to cover college tuition, fees, and room and board. All that money is tax-free. True or false?
4: Well, the key word there is all. And that's, I guess, let me put it this way. I, had, I, I received a couple scholarships in college. They were relatively small. I didn't pay a cent of taxes on them, but you're, but you're, it wasn't room and board and the whole ball of wax. I don't know. I, I'm going to say it's taxable. So it's false. False. I don't know. It's just taxable.
0: (laughs) Yes. I I probably don't know either. I probably got this wrong. Uh, Paula.
5: I am going to say that scholarship money is not taxable.
0: So it's tax free. So, t- but
5: it is tax free. Let's be clear. I'm <laughs> that's, that's guessing
0: it's tuition fees and room and board. Are all those tax free?
5: Yes. All of them are tax free. That's going to be my position on this. Mr. McFarlane,
2: you said all. So there's, there's no way there, there's got to be an exception somewhere. That's what so I say. To, that's what so I say. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with Len.
0: So uh, the answer is false. So let's see what the real answer is. It is false. It's not all tax-free. If you receive a scholarship to cover tuition, fees, and books, you don't have to pay taxes on the money. But if your scholarship also covers room and board, travel, and other expenses, that portion is taxable. So Len has two. Greg has two. Paula has one. Paula, you got to be the comeback kid now. All righty. All right. It says we have 10 questions. We're going to cut it to five, I think. <laughs> In the interest of time and the fact that we're talking about taxes. Number three, child support payments from your ex-husband are tax-free. Child support payments from your ex-husband are tax-free. True or false? Greg, from your last ex-husband, were your child support payments tax-free?
2: I'm so grateful this, this is purely an academic question. <laughs> yeah, I'll say they are. Why not?
0: Len Penzo. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say, yes, they're tax-free. All right. So that's two for tax-free. Paula, you going to go against the grain and make up ground or are you on board with that one?
5: <laughs> well, you know what? Your so child now. support can be counted as income for the purposes of applying for a rental property. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that child support can be taxed. Did you just I mean, compare again,
0: rental properties to children?
5: <laughs> no, no. When a, when a person is uh, declaring their income on a rental application, they can declare, if they receive child support, they can declare that as part of their income.
0: So you're saying, you are saying that they're taxable or tax-free?
5: I, I'm just going to take a wild guess and say that it is taxable.
0: All right. So she says false. The answer is? Letting Greg are correct. It's true. They are tax-free. The parent who receives child support payments doesn't have to pay taxes on the money. The parent who pays child support can't deduct the payments. Alimony payments, on the other hand, are taxable for that reason. It's important to distinguish between the two types of payments in your divorce or separation agreement. Otherwise, the parents who receive the money may be required to pay taxes on the entire amount. Isn't that fascinating, guys? Paul, you want to go back to doing your taxes instead of playing this game? (laughs) Uh,
5: Man, I'm, I'm trailing behind
0: Well, you got two questions left And Greg and Len can't get them all right So here's question four, guys <laughs> Wait, wait, what's the score right now? It is, <laughs> it is uh, Greg three, Len three, Paula one Here we go, question four
2: so, so, they, so, if, so if we get this one right and Paula gets it wrong She doesn't even have to answer question five She can't win
0: Yeah, we don't even have to do question But We're saving time, Greg <laughs> We're, we're out of here Here we go, question four Your employer gave you a $25 gift certificate for the holidays. Because it's a gift, it's not taxable. Is that true or false, Paula?
5: Ooh, ouch. Um, So I do know that there is a gift tax, which has an exemption of $14,000. But because this came from an employer, as opposed to just from some random person, I am going to say that the IRS would regard it as part of your compensation. And therefore it is taxable.
2: Paul says taxable, Greg. It's gotta be under a threshold. I say it's not taxable.
4: Not taxable. I like this, Len. Well, uh, I hate to stick with Greg here, but I'm pretty sure I, Boy, I mean I hate I've received Greg. Greg, Greg Greg is adding <laughs> a thousand. I know no, really. but, but but I'm just thinking back to now I've received We received at work, you know, we get money, a small amount. We get like thirty-five bucks or forty bucks for a holiday to go with our friends to do something. And I do not remember being taxed by the company for that. So um, I'm going to say that's not taxable.
5: You you know, actually, I'm going to I'm going to pause now that I'm thinking about it. In my accounting software, there's actually a a line item for gifts that I give my contractors or, or employees. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think that I'm allowed to give up to a, like a, a gift value of $25. So I think the fact that this question actually includes the value of 25 might be significant. So you're switching, so it. You're switching it. I'm going to change my answer, Joe, and I'm going yeah. to go with what Len and Greg said.
0: Which is awesome because that gift tax return, the one, the I, I don't know the answer to any of these either, guys. I mean, these are kind of tough, <laughs> but, but Paula, the one thing I do know is it the 14,000 number you're talking
5: about was a state tax gift that's your estate tax that it comes right. off of has nothing well, to do with Well, but there's tax. there's gift tax and there's a state tax, right? So gift tax you can give up to $14,000 per year uh, yeah, that, and then estate tax is like the the big number that happens when you die like a million or 5 million or whatever.
0: But that comes off of your exemption. But anyway, you uh, can get you can give 14,000 right, yeah. 14, without it coming off that exemption. That's what it applies to.
5: Mm.
0: Exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Pinch me This is the best quiz we ever had So your employer gave you a $25 gift certificate for the holidays Because it's a gift, it's not taxable Everybody says true And the answer is False If your employer gave you a cash gave you If your employer gave you cash, a gift certificate Or any item that can easily be exchanged for cash You must include the value as part of your taxable income No matter what the amount the IRS says However, if your company uh, gave uh, you uh, a oh. turkey A ham or other item of nominal value for the holidays, you don't have to include the value. So they give you a thing. It doesn't count. If it's money or a gift certificate worth money, it counts.
4: Oops. Pinch me. Isn't that great? (laughs) I'm going to stop giving anecdotal stories because, because I'm going to have have the IRS on my butt here pretty soon, I think.
0: Well, I think, yeah, either they did it under the table, Len, or number two, (laughs) because you know, your company's like that, I'm sure. Or number two is it just showed up on your paycheck and it was a line item you missed. You know,
4: maybe, yeah,
0: good stuff. I think we're going to stop at four there. That was a thrilling (laughs) our our tax quiz. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamin's, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now... you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's monarchmone dot slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country Navy Federals insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. All right. Our quick disclaimer before we get into the FinTech segment today, the FreshBooks Friday FinTech segment. You know, when we show you these cool new apps, uh, we can't endorse any of them, but we try to give you what we see is the coolest stuff. So imagine my surprise when I read about Clarity Money in Barron's. And then reached out, and man, they were ready to go and be on the show right away. And Adam Dell, if you know that name, you know that uh, that's the same Dell family. Adam Dell, serial entrepreneur, brother of Michael Dell, who created this little uh, computer company called Dell Computer. And uh, Adam Adam's done just some amazing, created some amazing stuff. So excited to talk to him. Let's say hello to Adam Dell from Clarity Money coming down to the basement. And Adam Dell joins us in the basement. Have a seat, man. How are you?
6: I'm well. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm glad you could make Texarkana a stop on your worldwide tour talking about Clarity, which we'll get to here in a second. Before I get to your actual app, I got to ask a question about you, which is you're a serial entrepreneur. Your brother created this little known computer company in Austin. Like, Is there something in the Dell family water going on there?
6: Yeah, we get that question a lot. I have two brothers and... One of my brothers likes to say that my mom uh, had three sons and put out food for two <laughs> that's
0: and, and is that all the answer you're gonna give me or did she was entrepreneurship important in your family your parents
6: entrepreneurs uh, no my father was an orthodontist uh, my mother was a stockbroker and a teacher I can't really uh, can't really speak to why uh, we ended up the way we did but they did a fine job raising us and they were you know great loving parents. I we kind of had a pretty traditional, normal household. Um, Well, the
0: financial thing you come by, honestly, then, if your mom was a stockbroker, when you created the Clarity app, Adam, was it a hole in the marketplace that you saw, or were you frustrated by something? I love the story of of where the genesis of an idea came from. Where was it with Clarity?
6: Uh, My last company is called Civitas Learning, and it wouldn't surprise me if a number of your listeners haven't heard of Civitas. It's a software company that sells solutions to colleges. What we do at Civitas is we analyze student behavior, and we use data science to try to improve outcomes for colleges. And it really works well. We've got about 300 college customers, and you know the company's grown to pretty significant size in terms of revenue and employees. And what we do is we sort of you know, look at the behavior patterns of students, and then we nudge them in particular directions in an effort to improve the odds that they succeed in their college career. And it struck me that we could do the same thing with consumer finance. I've been a longtime Mint user and just really frustrated by how little you can do with Mint. Mint is really a good dashboard about your past, but not a really good tool to help you think about what you might do in the future to improve your financial well-being. And so it struck me that we could use the same kind of behavioral nudges that we use at Civitas Learning to build a consumer finance tool that would help people figure out, you know, what the best decisions are to make around their financial life. And that's really the the genesis of Clarity Money.
0: So let's dig into it then, Adam, because this behavior piece, I think, is really the coolest part of the app. Tell me what happens when I download the Clarity app. What do I do?
6: Yeah, when you download the Clarity app from the Apple App Store, and by the way, we'll be available on Android soon, so uh, stay tuned if you're on that platform. But uh, today we're available on iOS. You open up the app, we introduce you to some basic concepts about linking your accounts and connecting all of your existing financial relationships. And then we basically get to work and what that means is, we analyze your transaction history, your spending patterns, your income, all the sort of salient information that might help us glean insights about what your financial picture looks like. And we apply a whole bunch of data science to that. And then we try to present you with very specific, clear, and simple options that will improve your financial well being. Uh, I'll give you an example we auto discover all of your recurring charges. And we present those in one simple screen that says, here are all the things you pay for each month. Are any of them things that you don't need that you would like to cancel? And then we give you a button to press, and you can cancel them. It's really been delightful to see customers use the app and and send us feedback with comments like, oh, man, I completely forgot I was paying for Netflix or Hulu or Audible or, you know, pick your recurring service that you just sort of forgot you were paying for or decide you no longer need but never went through the hassle of trying to cancel it for yourself, well, press that button and we'll do it for you. Similarly, we'll look at your credit card statements and we'll determine what your average APR is. And if we can find you a credit card with a lower APR, we'll present that option to you. And again, we'll give you a button to press to get that better credit card. Our belief is that, and and you know this well, Joe, just given your community at Stacking Benjamins, there's lots of things you can do to save money and improve your financial well-being, but it's a hassle. And you have to be kind of resilient and vigilant about it. And what if there was a computer or a machine that did that for you? You know, it's my belief that in an AI and machine learning world where Netflix knows what you might want to watch and Amazon knows what you might want to buy, because they have this massive data set, which they're able to analyze and predict uh, your preferences, isn't it likely or shouldn't it be the case that there is an intelligent machine out there that will help you navigate your financial life? And we're really big believers of this notion of advocacy, helping consumers figure out how to improve their financial well-being and giving them a tool that really does it for them. I
0: like the setting up savings accounts, too. Talk about that for a minute.
6: Yeah, sure. The app has a feature where you can define a goal, like I want to take a trip or I want to save for a baby or save for a home renovation. You select an amount and a cadence, basically how often you want to save. set that amount aside, and it will automatically create a forced savings account for you. We put that money in a separate account uh, on your behalf. It's FDIC insured, and so your money is safe. Uh, There are no fees associated with the account and will uh, help you save for a goal. As soon as you're ready to withdraw that money out of the account, you press the withdraw button and all that savings will return to your uh, original account. And uh, you'll have a pile of money that you can then go use for whatever goal you've decided you want to save for.
0: It's amazing. Every year we talk about in the summer people that go into debt to take a family trip or at the holidays, right? People get that January credit card hangover and the time to fight that is now. So I really like that part of the app specifically too, as well as canceling. I had a friend just yesterday tell me that he didn't realize that he had been paying for Audible for like the last 17 months and had all these book credits that were stacked up. He's like, I don't have time to listen to any of this and what a disaster. He could have had you know all that money in his pocket.
6: Yeah, the, the customers who use our recurring charge or subscription cancellation service on average save about $300 a year.
0: That's crazy. When people use the app, is there a fee for the app? When I go to the app store, am I going to pay a fee to download? Is there a monthly recurring charge? How does that work?
6: No, the app is completely free to use. There are things that we do charge the customer for, but only when we save them money. Okay. And let me give you an example of that. One of the things we do is we will lower your bills. We've partnered with a company called Bill Shark, which I'm sure you're familiar with. We'll auto-discover which bills you have that are lowerable. Not all bills are lowerable, but some are. And if you have a bill that is lowerable, we will go to work for you and call your provider, whether it's your cable company or your cell phone company, and, and we'll lower your bill. And if we're able to lower your bill by, you know, say, $100, we'll keep $40 of that, of that $100 savings. You get $60, and uh, everybody's happy. And so that's a very popular feature on our app. We've lowered many, many bills for customers. And uh, it's a pretty exciting thing when somebody can download an app, press a button, and they have more money in their pocket.
0: You're also responsible, obviously, with a lot of financial data that people have. And I know people are asking this question as they're driving down the road, Adam. What do you guys have in place in terms of security on
6: the app? Well, let let me first talk about a couple of implications of your question there. One is the notion of being a fiduciary. You know, we really take the brand promise of being a champion of your money incredibly seriously. You know, I think it's a shame that consumers are taken advantage of by big banks, big insurance companies, big credit card companies, and they end up paying enormous fees that they don't really need to pay. And they ought to have an advocate. They ought to have somebody to help them figure this stuff out. We take that job really seriously. There are two individuals who are sort of leaders in the field of behavioral economics and finance. One is a guy named Niall Ferguson, who wrote the seminal book on the history of finance, and a guy named uh, Dan Ariely, who's one of the leaders in the behavioral economics world. Uh, They've helped us establish our customer advisory council, which ensures that we always put the customer first. We will never make a recommendation or suggest a product or service that does not objectively improve our customers' financial well-being. And so this notion of advocacy is core to what Clarity Money is all about. That's one of the key pillars of our brand promise. To your question about security, uh, we use 256-bit encryption. We do not store your login credentials. We'll never sell your data. Uh, You can't advertise on Clarity Money. We keep bank-level security standards when it comes to encrypting your data. Uh, We have incredibly secure privacy policies around who has access to what information we take security very seriously money. We recognize that in order to earn the trust of the consumer, uh, we have to be exceptional at that.
0: I loved when I was getting ready for today's interview, Adam. I'm flipping through my daily <laughs> mix of financial stories, and I love seeing you guys uh, being profiled in Barron's. How cool is that? Some of this press you guys are getting right out of the gate has got to be pretty fulfilling after you've worked your butt off on this for so long.
6: Yeah, the Barron's article was really a favorable one, as has all the press thus far. And I think part of it is because, you know, this notion of helping consumers, giving them an advocate, giving them a machine, them a machine that can help them improve their financial well-being is is a really powerful notion. You know, the Barron's reporter saved, um, you know, over $1,000 uh, using the app and, and uh, she reported on it. And so, you know, we're happy that we were able to help her as a customer as well.
0: That's, that's, that's pretty wild. So what's next for the app? I mean, now it's released, or are you, just, are you just happy that you got this far, Adam, or are there big plans in the future?
6: Yeah, we have a lot of plans for Clarity's 2.0 product. We will introduce personal loans, uh, we will introduce investing, and we will add a whole bunch of new features. Uh, we've had a lot of requests from customers to add additional features, and so we've kept copious notes on each of those feature requests, and we're working on many of them. And, you know, our notion is to try to evolve into a a holistic platform to help consumers uh, navigate their financial lives. As I referred to earlier in our talk, you know, it's my belief that over time, it's very likely that a company like ours will help consumers navigate all of their financial choices, uh, insurance, credit cards, banks, investing, retirement, bills, And and so we endeavor to to provide those services to our customers.
0: The site is ClarityMoney.com. You'll find the Clarity app right now on iOS and coming soon to Android, you said, Adam?
6: Yeah, that's right. Uh, Look for Android uh, Q2 of this year.
0: Awesome. And I'll have links to all that in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Adam Dell, thanks a ton for hanging out with us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Big thanks to Adam for taking time out of his busy schedule. Isn't that, that, it's mint on steroids. I like that. All right, let's get back to our awesome discussion with Greg, Paula, and Len. Let's move on to our third uh, topic today, which is, I think, a little more exciting. This comes to us from Quartz. And the headline is, in the time you spent on social media each year, You could read 200 books. Paula, do you believe that? You could spend uh, less time and maybe read 200 more books?
5: So 200 books a year, if you assume you spend 50 weeks a year reading, that's four books a week. And if it takes you, say, six to seven hours to read each book, I mean, you're talking about a commitment of 28, 30 hours per week. I don't think, I mean, and they have some statistics in this article about how many hours a person spends on social media Per year, but I just don't think that people really spend thirty hours a week. No, I mean on social media.
0: Yeah, uh, Greg. They the example here is Warren Buffett talking about reading five hundred pages a day.
2: Uh, you read five hundred pages a day? Is he reading five hundred pages a day of business books, or is he reading five hundred pages a day of something impenetrable like Finnegan's Wake? Right. I, yeah. Um. <sighs> I don't read five hundred pages a day or anywhere close <laughs> to it, but I still manage to plow through. I don't know, hundred books a year.
0: Wow, really? Wow, really? Wow,
4: that's impressive.
2: Really? I don't know. That is a
4: lot. Len's read four.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Greg, you read like two books a week.
2: Yeah, I just finished uh, *Mortal Errors*, a book about the JFK assassination, which basically says that the uh, that a Secret Service agent killed him. And I'm reading this. uh, I don't know if it counts as a book. It's a it's a series of restaurant reviews by this lady who writes for the this 85-year-old restaurant reviewer for the newspaper in Grand Forks, North Dakota, who got some notoriety a few years ago because they opened an olive garden in town and she reviewed it unironically and she liked it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's cool. and,
2: and, and people made fun of it and they were snarky, but she was completely serious. And you read these reviews. I mean, she reviews subway. Then she reviews the subway on the other side of town. And <laughs> it tastes she, the same. She, she talks an awful lot about the color of the furniture, but I mean, Anthony Bourdain actually wrote the preface for this book, uh, this collection of her columns. It's fascinating.
0: That sounds fascinating. What's the name of that one, Greg?
2: I believe it's called Grand Forks. All right. Get it?
0: Yeah. Uh Double
4: entendre. Very nice.
0: Len, let's go to you. Can you keep up with Greg? 200 books?
4: No. Geez. I probably read five books a year. Well, let's talk about that. Greg, Greg talked about what he's reading. Len, what are you reading? Well, okay. I just finished The Road to Ruin by James Rickards. And I am looking at, speaking of humongous books, I am just getting into The Great Deformation by David Stockman. This is a 700-page monstrosity with, like, eight-point font, so uh, it's big. Let's talk about both these books. How'd you like the last
6: one? Well, The Road to Ruin*. Yeah.
4: Uh, you know what? I, it's part of a—it's not a trilogy. It's, it's going to be a four-part series. Uh, what's it—what's not—if it's not a trilogy, what's a four-part series called? A tetralogy. Oh, a tetralogy. Well, very good. So, are you sure? Okay, tetralogy, whatever. This is the third in the series of uh, books about, basically, as you might guess from my bunker mentality, the demise of the current financial system. I thought it was his weakest of the previous two, which was currency wars and the death of money. But that being said, it it had its merits. Uh, It had some good points about, we were just talking about protectionism. I used to be totally anti-protectionist. I thought it was a bad idea, but he made some good cases for why tariffs can be a good thing and how they don't necessarily have to be a drag on the economy. So I thought that was good. The great deformation is David A. Stockman, who, as you know, was, or you might not know, he was the uh, the director for the Office of Management and Budget for the White House under Ronald Reagan back in the 80s. And uh, he, you still see, you'll see him on MSNBC He's a talking head, and he's got a blog as well, called Contra Corner, I think he calls it. But this, this is talks about the death of capitalism, actually the corruption of capitalism and how crony capitalism is kind of uh, making things really tough right now for everyone, and it's how it's infecting the economy. And so I'm looking at, like I said, I'm just getting started on it, but he's going through the whole hist- history here of capitalism. So
0: Wait a minute. So you have a full-time job and then you read this stuff for fun?
4: Yeah, I'm fat. Hey, you know, me. I'm fascinated by macroeconomics. I know I'm kidding.
0: And then my second question is uh, back to the road to ruin. They talk about the death of the financial system, right? And you've read three of the four books. Yeah. And they haven't mentioned Stacking Benjamins podcast yet as a sign (laughs) that the death of the financial system is upon us.
4: (laughs) He's writing the fourth book right now. So you know what? I will. I'll send him a note. (laughs) I bet we'll make the fourth (laughs) volume
0: as proof that it's all downhill from here. It must be over. Paula Pant, what are you reading? I find this just fascinating what you guys are reading. Paula, what are you reading?
5: So at the moment, I you know, I actually made a list of all of the books that I've read in the past three months because I wanted to get a sense of how much I read. I've read 10 books in the last three months. Uh, so I guess I'm averaging a, approximately three books per month. Right now, I'm reading The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly, which is about technological forces that will shape our lives in the coming decades. That sounds cool. So... It's amazing. He talks a lot about artificial intelligence and uh, augmented reality and basically just how all of these are going to affect every aspect of how we live in ways that, you know, will be on par with the Internet in terms of how much it's affected our lives.
0: Robots are going to run everything.
5: Yes, that's a simplified way of saying what he's saying, but it's where we end and where they begin is a little blurry. In many ways, the dreams that we will have will be fueled by the machines that we build and what those machines enable us to do.
0: I was listening to, um, I had a four-hour drive the other day, and I was listening to a story on NPR talking about there was a woman in Silicon Valley who's trying to build empathy into our technology. And it was fascinating, just talking about how feelings actually matter. So it turns out, uh, Greg, that even our robots are going to get participation medals for helping build our stuff.
2: <laughs> You're looking for a woody response for me.
0: And no, I got I'm not. I just thought, I, don't, I said your name because I thought you'd appreciate that the most. Paula, what else are you reading?
5: So some of the stuff that I've read recently, uh, the book Sapiens is absolutely incredible. It's It's a book about the history of humankind, and it contextualizes the human species in a way that I've just never seen before. Smart Cuts by Shane Snow, also incredible. It's about lateral thinking and some of the innovations and the breakthroughs that come by virtue of thinking laterally. Big Magic by Liz Gilbert, which is about having the courage to live a more creative life. Smarter, Faster, Better by Charles Duhigg. On Writing Well. Originals uh, by Adam Grant. That's actually a fantastic one. I, I've got like a, uh, I, I actually want to go through it and hand transcribe some of those passages uh in order to internalize some of the concepts that he talks about in there a little bit better do you ever read so, any fiction sometimes not often i would like to read more fiction but i'm so drawn to nonfiction titles that uh they end up taking priority
0: yeah i was gonna ask Me you too. well i was gonna ask you what some of your favorites are but paula you already answered that so greg what are your, what are some of your favorites that you've read over the past year
2: uh, exclusively again, I can't stomach fiction. I just, uh, it, it's lies. It's, it's the same, <laughs> it's the same reason why, why I can't watch movies for that matter. You know, it's funny since I, since I went from paper books to the Kindle, it didn't augment, it completely supplanted my reading habits. It blew my mind. Really. And when I found out that I could download classics, From Amazon for 99 cents or very often free, it just blew my mind. So I'm thinking, wait a second, I can get the works of Aristotle, I can download them and I can and I can read them. I can read Thomas Aquinas. I can I can plow my way through the Summa Theologica. Yeah. Wow. So what if you're that's the stuff that's stuck in my mind. So Summa Theologica, that 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 was a plow. There's no way I could read a hundred of those books of that length (laughs) in in one year. But it did force me to examine religion and my place in the universe and it left me asking more questions than i did when i started before i started reading it
0: oh that's fascinating
2: i'm very deep joe
0: what i I couldn't tell at all i had no idea
4: len yes didn't i already tell you my books well you told me what you're reading (laughs) are we not done here Wait, no, was the qu- no? What was the
6: qu- was well, the question? Qu- is, is,
0: is, is the question is is that Paula went into what some of her favorites are? Not what she's reading now, but what some of her favorites are. I'm just curious of the books you've written are written of the books you've read recently. What are some of your favorites? Not what you're reading now, but what have your some of your recent favorites been?
4: Oh my gosh, um, let's see. I, I hate to harken back to something I just kind of mentioned in passing just recently, but I really enjoyed the death of money by James Rickards. I, I thought that was, that was a great concise. It was well written on how the money monetary system is going to come. The current monetary system is going to come to an end. And, uh, it was easy to understand and it was very enlightening and it makes a lot of sense. And, and I, I just, it was, it was riveting. I actually was on the edge of my seat. Are there, are there, even though was that, even though I consider that, I mean, I consider that's not, it's not fiction. It's nonfiction. It's just, it's looking forward. It's it's a prediction, if you will, on how things will unfold. So it kind of reads like fiction, like a story, but it's very good. Periodicals.
0: Are there periodicals you guys get every month that you like? The actual old paper magazine, Paula, you get any periodicals that you really enjoy?
5: No. I mean, sometimes uh, when I'm browsing through Twitter, I'll click on a headline that's interesting, and uh, HBR, Harvard Business Review, tends to have very good articles that come out, so I, I tend to click on a lot of hbr articles on twitter but that's that's the closest i get to having any allegiance to any periodical
2: yeah greg any you really like motor trend yeah uh yeah among all the car magazines it's the only bolt one and i wasn't i didn't grow up in a family full of car guys i'm kind of getting into this late and i i wish i'd done it decades earlier but it's fascinating just practical engineering that results in horsepower and acceleration
0: when I lived in Michigan, Greg, I had a neighbor who wrote for them, and it, he was just the most intelligent guy. And when I when I read his work, it was it was incredible. It was it was great. I'm not a car guy, and <laughs> and I totally agree. Uh, Len, uh, periodicals that you subscribe to or like
4: not anymore. But my last one was Discover Magazine. I I loved Discover Magazine. I thought it was um, very interesting. But I I finally discontinued it.
0: Yeah, my only one I still get is uh, Fast Company. And uh, for a while, I didn't like Fast Company, and now I'm, I'm back
4: and addicted again.
0: Well, that's interesting, guys. That's that's cool stuff. I was like catching up with what you guys are reading and what's going on, and I hope our listeners do, too. Uh, let's talk about what's going on where you live. Greg, do you have any plans of writing anything anytime soon?
2: As soon as my knees improve.
0: Nice. And uh, sounds like... Yeah, you can't write
2: with bad knees. Yeah.
0: I was going to say, you write with your knees? How do you hold the pencil? <laughs> you got to be... My elbows, be- duh. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta be sturdy man you gotta be sturdy uh len how about you what's going on over there at that crazy lenpenzo.com
4: i've got a reader has written in and i'm, I'm sharing her story where she had the spouse her spouse skipped out of town with everything that she owned she uh all of her money her she had fifty thousand dollars in her savings account he took all of her every every account he cleaned out and left her with just the next paycheck you think about if something like that happens, how do you make the mortgage payment? How, I mean, he took the checking, the money out of the checking account, money out of the savings account and left. How, how do you make those payments and how do you recover from something like that? So she shared her story and that's wow. uh, very interesting. And she tr- kind of gives us uh, some, some guidance on how, how to cope with something like that. If it happens to you and how oh. to pr- prevent protect yourself in the future that if, is to prevent that from happening.
0: That, that sounds like a, just a horrible time.
4: Yeah. Uh, she, was, uh, she emailed me when this was going on, actually. And it was, uh, yeah, she wasn't doing well Did mentally. You,
0: yeah, yeah, right. Did you ask her the important question, though? What's that? Which is, if your spouse deals everything, is it taxable? <laughs> not, not fun. We shouldn't even be joking. You know what?
4: I'm laughing now because she has recovered and Excellent. you'll see it was, it has a happy ending. Oh, That's so.
0: that's good. Cause I yeah. shouldn't even be joking about that. Cause yeah. that's, that's yeah. a horrible situation, but Paula Pant. Thank you very much. Joe. For, thank you very much for having me on the afford anything podcast. That was so fun.
5: That was incredible. That was actually my favorite episode of ask Paula. So for the listeners who uh, have not yet heard it, Joe came by to ruin the show <laughs> and we had an awesome time. Uh, just the, the energy of having two people, Uh, You and I both field questions from listeners. Two heads are better than one.
0: That's why it takes four people on this show to get that kind of energy. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even do it with two. You're much better at this than I am, Paula. So what's going on at that crazy uh, Afford Anything?
5: So I am going to, on the Afford Anything podcast, I'm going to be running another episode of Ask Paula, but this time solo, so it'll be without, you know. Without your the, the the life that you bring to it, I've got to like double up on my energy. Right on the afford anything blog at affordanything.com, I will be finally sharing my income and expenses, just revealing the books from the last several months of my rental property excursions. And I'll also talk a little bit at the personal level about why I am writing these so infrequently, which, um, long story short is just because I'm really bored with writing about real estate. Wow. Really? I've been bored of this for so long, Joe. Like, oh my God, it's just, I'm, I'm over it. Like, look at the books I read. I read sapiens. I read originals. I'm not reading books about how to hire a property manager. (laughs) And writing is the physical manifestation of thinking. So if I'm not really thinking about real estate because it's passive and it runs in the background, how can I write about something that I don't think about very much?
2: But it's
0: so hard because new people are coming to your site every day.
5: That's the problem. So the problem and the reason that I've written about real estate for as long as I have, even though I've been bored with it for such a long time is because every effing person asks me about it. I shouldn't sound ungrateful. Like I get very excited by people who are genuinely interested in it, Uh, working with the beta testers as I'm putting this course together. I love doing that because the students are really into it. And so I see an opportunity to like help them and guide them. But in terms of just writing blog, like coming up with new content... Uh, you know, writing blog posts for brand new people who have a passing interest in it and who probably won't ever actually take action. I don't want to do that. Like, I'm going to help the people who actually are going to take action. And I don't really give a crap about the people who are just there for a passing curiosity.
0: We should have had some God Bless America music on behind that. That, (laughs) That became a rant, man. That was good.
5: Yeah, I've been needing to get this off my chest for a long time. So I'm going to be writing about that at Afford Anything. <laughs> That's .com. fantastic.
0: We'll link to everybody's uh, sites and all the good stuff they do and to that amazing. I think, Greg, you have an amazing book that we haven't talked about yet. Len, does Greg have an amazing book that we haven't
4: talked about yet? He most certainly does. It's called Control Your Cash. And I just have to say, it is the best personal finance book I have ever read.
2: I can't disagree with that.
4: We will have then a lot. again, leave. I don't know what
2: else Len has read. <laughs>
4: It's the only personal finance book I have ever read.
2: Are we going to break no. the tie between Len and me for this quiz? <laughs> is, this,
4: is this after show material now?
0: <laughs> uh, maybe. First of all, first of all, what's an after show? And second of all, maybe. Uh, thanks for playing, guys. Thank you. Oh, that's going to just about wrap it up for this week. Next week is our last week. Wasn't this a great week, by the way? Beth Kobliner on Monday. If you have kids and you didn't listen to Monday's show, you want to go back and catch that one. Because Beth, her book is so amazing. And she shares so many tips on allowances and teachable moments. Just some great tips on Monday. And how fun was Wednesday? Thank you to everybody who wrote us about Wednesday. Because, you know, uh, uh, D1's an incredible rapper. But I, I, I I... I just don't know what to say to a musician. And he made it so easy. And it was such a fun interview talking to D1. And his songs are incredible. So if, if you missed D1 on Wednesday, go back and listen to that one. And no matter what you do, though, have a fantastic weekend. Thanks for all the people that told friends about us or who left us a review on Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you listen. We very much appreciate it. And we appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Go stack and Benjamins. We'll see you Monday.
3: Special thanks to Adam Dell from Clarity Money. You'll find Clarity Money wherever you download apps for your smart device, or we'll have a link under the FreshBooks FinTech header on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. The show is created by Joe Saul Seahy, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. And finally, huge thanks to Joe's mom for agreeing to drop me off at the water park Saturday. I ran by there last week, and the parking lot's totally empty. I'll have the whole place to myself. Little snow never hurt anyone, did it? What was that? It's called the medium sketch. The medium
6: sketch? Yeah, it wasn't rare, and it certainly wasn't well done.
0: (laughs) Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning Welcome to the after show, the part of the show that doesn't exist. We never have an after show on Fridays. Thank you for saying the words after show, Len Penzo, you dumb. What? Is that a secret? Do you ever listen to the show? (laughs) We tell people every episode, you don't talk about the after show. Len's like, yeah, we'll talk about the after show. (laughs) Holy cow.
2: Edit it out. Five
0: five years, Len Penzo. He hasn't listened to the show twice, Paula. Hasn't listened twice.
5: He's, uh, you know not one of your two listeners.
0: <laughs> All right. So we're having a death match here, Paula, between Greg and Len. You want to get in on this too, just for fun?
5: Sure. Sure. Should I, should I also participate or? No, that's what I'm uh, saying. Should I egg him on? Well, wait, wait, either,
0: either, either, way I can, uh, I can, I can tell you what the site is that I'm gleaning these from. Cause I don't know the answers or, uh, you know what? Let's just throw you in the ring too. How about that?
5: Okay. Cool. I'll be a competitor.
0: Here we go. No chance of winning. Well, question five is pretty damn funny. So this is sudden death, guys. Sudden death. Question number five. You went to Vegas last year and won big in a game of Texas Hold'em. That's hilarious on so many levels with you two. (laughs) (laughs) Your your winnings are taxable, true or false. So I'm going to go back and forth. We've always had, during the regular show, Greg had to go first every time. So in overtime, this time, Len has to go first. So Len, you went to Vegas last year. One big in a game of Texas Hold'em. Your winnings are taxable, true or false?
4: Are you talking about state income taxes? Uh,
0: we're talking federal.
4: Federal? Yes. Taxable.
0: All right. And Greg? Yes. The answer is yes, it's taxable. Taxable gambling?
5: Jo- oh, I can't. Can, out... <laughs> can I point out that two out of the four people on this roundtable live in Las Vegas?
0: No. And you know what, Paul, I totally did involve you. I make a big deal of saying, hey, let's involve Paula.
2: <laughs> I, I was hoping, I was hoping that Len was going to get caught up in this state income tax thing and say yes. And then I, knowing that Nevadans don't pay state income tax. Oh,
4: I knew that. That was my question. I, was lower the, the I knew Nevada doesn't put, pay state income tax. That's why I asked.
2: I thought that was going to be an easy victory for me. <laughs> All,
0: right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Well, not so easy, apparently. Question number six. You were unemployed for a few months last year, and you received unemployment benefits. Those payments are tax-free. Greg?
2: Are they tax-free? The answer is no. They're
0: taxable. Len, taxable or tax-free? Taxable. Paula, taxable or tax-free? Taxable. Now, you guys don't have really quiet keyboards, do you? Because I can't I can't hear you over I, the shortwave, so you better not I be— I promise I'm not. I'm, I promise you I'm not. <laughs> you better not be this. typing away— uh, the answer is they're taxable, so you're all right. All right. We go to question seven. Back to Len first. You were injured in a car accident and received a settlement to cover your medical costs. The money is not taxable. It's tax-free. True or false? The money isn't taxable, Len. True or false?
4: It is tax-free.
2: Greg? I'm going to say it's taxable just so we get a winner. All right. <laughs> Paula? Paula?
5: I don't know the answer to this. So I'm just going to take a guess and say that it is taxable.
0: The answer is Greg fell on the sword for the second time in the show. <laughs> if you receive money to compensate you for physical injury or illness,
4: it's tax-free. So nice job. And, and let me tell you how I knew that. I was in a car accident at the tender age of 17 that put me in the hospital for two weeks.
1: And I received,
4: I received a cash settlement <laughs> from the insurance company for the uh, let's lucky he had advanced knowledge <laughs> with us. I'm trying to be humble here and tell you that's how the only reason I knew that
2: <laughs> I never got a car accident was injured for two weeks my life sucks
4: <laughs> well that's because he's older than you Greg I mean he's you got a story tell, for everything let me tell you the bad part about that accident I'll tell you the bad part about that accident and this is probably, you can throw this on the cutting room floor if you want, Joe, if, if it gets too disgusting. But but I broke my femur and I was in traction. You know, like you see in the cartoons, the you know, your legs put up in the, you know, the traction machine.
0: Yeah.
4: I broke my femur completely into two complete two separate pieces. And I was going to have to be in traction for 12 weeks, 12 solid weeks in the hospital in traction. Well, I said I was only in the hospital for two weeks. Here's what happened. Ten days in... I just couldn't make myself go number two, if you know what I mean. I just wouldn't do it. I mean, I could have, but I didn't want to do it, just because the, the bedpan and, and I was shy and I was a teenager, couldn't do it, and I got all backed up. Nurses had to give me a enema to fix the problem, and it was obvious that it wasn't going to work out. Me being in traction for twelve weeks, so so I ended up going into surgery, and it spared me the twelve weeks of traction. Wow. Yes,
0: but uh, car accidents, so that's why you are the way you
4: are. That's that's it. yes. I'm sure there was head damage you know in the accident. Explains everything the leg. Yes uh, that is
0: a uh, thanks for telling us that story by the way, about being backed up. <laughs> that sounds like an old guy story. Remember that time I was backed up? <laughs> uh, Paula, you'll get that later. All right, guys. Thanks for playing.